Um, as an educator, as you've heard, in the profession of speaking wisdom regarding mathematics into the hearts and minds of young people, I am keen to stay on top of the latest academic philosophies. My research goes far and wide, often involving long hours of reading and planning. Of course, this research offers some interesting theories, and my particular favourite method is watching the widely esteemed and professionally rated Super Nanny. Yes, quite correct, Joe Frost knows it all. Okay, even for 15-year-olds. A few weeks ago, the utter brilliance of this program was revealed to me. She was interviewing parents about things that irritated them and the habits of their children. And one mother, sincere in her efforts, explained how she was very concerned about the hearing of her teenage son. <laughs> he regularly misheard what she was saying or apparently did not hear at all. But this was more frequent when he was involved in some kind of television watching activity or computer-based activity. Perhaps there was a link. Although on some occasions it was merely when she asked him to wash up or tidy his room. In the end, she took her son to have in-depth hearing tests. This, I can imagine, was rigorous. It would have taken several hours assessing his hearing at different frequencies, in different environments, although the tests were found inclusive. Apparently, he had no hearing damage at all. Gosh, what shocking results. <laughs> A teenager not responding to turn off the television or do the washing up. The requests falling on deaf ears. How could this possibly happen? Although I think I experience the same kind of conditional deafness. Mainly when my husband Ben asks me to make him a cup of tea. Or if the ironing has been done. Or if the TV programme that's on is really necessary. And if it's on catch-up, can we watch it another time because there's football on. Or when God asks me to do something. Because lack of hearing doesn't mean that there's nothing to be heard. Hearing no noise doesn't mean that there's no message. Not being able to hear something is not the same as not listening. Conditional deafness is an incredibly common ailment. When Leon asked me to talk about what God's saying to me, I had three thoughts. Number one, God isn't talking to me at all. Number two, God say, why are you ignoring me? Number three, I just don't understand why God's not talking to me. I'd like you to try and picture the scene. A woman is standing at one end of her lounge. Apparently normal, she's pacing backwards and forwards. Every so often, she kind of stands on one leg with her arm raised. Bizarre. She stops suddenly, freezes. There appears to be a small object in her hand. And now the scene starts to make sense. You see, the small magical object she's holding is her mobile phone, and she's somehow trying desperately to get a signal. You may have seen a similar scenario in houses, or particularly caravans across the country, with a TV aerial. 
I remember an incident in rainy Wales, desperately reaching out of the window, trying to get a signal in something that I could understand. One of the problems with these so-called clever pieces of technology is called electromagnetic interference, or so I'm told. I lack much in the way of any form of technical know-how. I just turn things off and on again and hope that that will fix the problem. EMI is disturbance that affects an electrical current due to either electromagnetic conduction or electromagnetic radiation emitted from an external source, apparently. The disturbance may interrupt, obstruct, or otherwise degrade or limit the effective performance of the circuit, phone, radio, or TV. The source might be an object, artificial or natural, that carries rapidly changing electrical currents. If you're quite far from the nearest transmitter, it can be difficult to get radio signals or if it, to go through solid walls. You might find that putting the radio on a windowsill with the area near the window might help. If the radio is close to an electrical device with a large motor like a washing machine or a fridge freezer, this can also cause interference. The National Radio Problems website, or something similar that I found when I was trying to find some information about this, suggested moving the radio from room to room to see if the re reception problems improve or worsen. If you're using the radio's built-in aerial, see if your radio allows you to plug in an external one. If all else fails, a qualified aerial installer can help you. So. An object, artificial or natural, can create interference and the signal gets jumbled. It's difficult to get an accurate signal when it has to go through walls. Some way of getting closer to the source might help. Removing big interferences can help. Different environments make the signal easier. A qualified aerial person can help. Interesting. Things, artificial or natural, create interference and God's voice gets jumbled. It's difficult to understand the real message when it gets filtered through our walls and barriers. Getting closer to God might help. Try removing some of the big distractions and interferences. Different environments might help us hear God better. If in doubt, enlist help. To understand what God really wants to say to us, we need to listen. If God was a radio station, we need to turn on and tune in. Once upon a time, there was a young girl. She didn't just believe in God, she was on fire. She had it. She wanted to do great things for God. She said she wanted to love Jesus like he had never been loved before. Wow. She knew Jesus was always with her. There was no doubt she heard the signal loud and clear. Her calling was crystal clear. No interference. She was tuned in and she was ready to go. One day she wrote in her journal, My soul is in perfect peace and joy. She experienced such a union with God that was so deep and so clear 
and so continual that she left her home, became a missionary and gave him everything. And then God left her. Silence. Nothing. Hush. At least that's how it felt to her. She tried to pray. She continued to do the work she was originally so clear on completing. On the outside, her smile masked a thousand questions. For 50 years, she felt darkness and pain. And with only one respite, for 50 years, Mother Teresa served. Persisting despite the agonizing doubt that God had gone somewhere. But who said he'd gone? There's an old saying that if you don't feel close to God anymore, who's moved? In the two-way radio conversation of life, who dropped the receiver? Who said over and out? I don't think I'd ask Mother Teresa that question because I don't know that it can ever be that simple. But I'm sure as certain that she didn't stop. And isn't that the most important thing? She held on. She kept listening out. She kept serving. She continued to live her life based on her understanding. She didn't doubt in the darkness what God had shown her in the light. Daniel refused to doubt in the darkness what he'd been shown in the light. In Daniel 3, it says, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Daniel said, I know my God. I trust my God. Even if you throw me into the furnace, my God is still my God. And even if he doesn't rescue me, he will still be my God. Even if he doesn't say a word, he will still be the creator of all things. He will still be the first. He will still be the last. And all that's in between. Him deciding to save me or not, to speak to me or not, will not determine who he is. Daniel was listening out for God. Daniel said, I will not drop the receiver. It's funny how much noise God makes seems to be linked to his existence as though hearing or not hearing could be the swinging vote. Norwood Russell Hansen, an atheist philosopher and clearly the child of parents with a sense of humour, once explained how he was very open-minded and would believe if, suppose next morning, just after breakfast, all of us in the world are knocked to our knees by a percussive and ear-shattering thunderclap. Snow swirls, leaves drop from the trees, the earth heaves and buckles. Buildings topple, 
towers tumble. The sky is ablaze with an eerie silvery light. And just then, as all of the people of the world look up, the heaven opens and the clouds pull apart, revealing an unbelievably radiant and immense Zeus-like figure towering over like a hundred Everests. He frowns darkly, and as lightning plays over the features of his Michelangeloid face, and then he points down at me and says, for every man and woman and child to hear, I've had quite enough of your too clever logic chopping and word watching in matters of theology. Be assured, nor would Russell Hansen, that I most certainly do exist. Not much to ask, really. To be honest, I reckon that even if that did happen, even if God came down to speak personally to Norwood or perhaps his parents and share a chuckle over a cup of coffee, he still wouldn't believe. He'd find a reason to suggest that the weather was natural and the light was just playing trick on his eyes. And he certainly wouldn't have believed if he hadn't have been there. If I'd been the purpose of this little display and I'd shared my experience, he wouldn't have believed me. He would have heard, but he wouldn't have listened. You see, in the message version, it says, a hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God wasn't found in the wind. After the wind and the earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. After the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak, went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. A quiet voice asked, So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? Sometimes the message doesn't sound like we expect it to, like the big scary dog that's got the little yappy bark. How or what we hear really isn't the issue. It's that we're prepared to stand in the cave or in the storm, waiting, ears open. It's about being prepared to hear. To mix a few metaphors, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him listen. I believe that I know one of God's greatest inventions throughout the history of time and bear in mind there have been a lot of good inventions for example where would we be without the tea bag invented in 1904 or the pop-up toaster in 1919 or the bubble gum in 1928 no an invention greater than all of these the sat nav I personally feel that I am blessed with a superb sense of direction However, being confined in any form of transport whatsoever makes me feel sick. Furthermore, asked to think and communicate and have a conversation with someone whilst in motion will only ever make me feel worse. This does not bode well on long journeys. So, the blessing of buying such an amazing piece of equipment was that not only do we normally end up in the right place, at the right time, we're normally still married when we get there. (laughs) So let's remember the world pre-satnav. 
the dark place when people had those huge AA roadmaps, which were A, impossible to read, and B, so large that once you actually started reading it, you could no longer see the road in front of you. So picture the journey, and I'm trying to avoid stereotyping whatsoever. A short time into your journey, the road doesn't look like the map anymore. Signs are in a foreign language, and you're sure you've seen that sheep at least three times. Person A suggests it might be a good idea to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> mm. Person B, quite convinced that they know where they are going, continues to drive no matter what. Person B hears the pleas of person A but carries on anyway. Person B has selective deafness. After seeing the, the same sheep for the twelfth time, person A begins tutting, mumbling under their breath, resisting the temptation to say, I told you so. Eventually, through either reaching maximum bladder capacity or running out of fuel, the car stops and person A, joyful inside, finds the nearest person to point them in the right direction. And we wonder why the Israelites spent so long in the wilderness. You see, sometimes we don't want to hear what's being said. Sometimes we're listening for listening's sake. Sometimes we hear the words, but we carry on driving. We even see the signs. We see the sheep for the twelfth time and we wonder where on earth we are, but we carry on anyway. Listening and hearing are two very different things. There was a man who heard a message. He heard the direction loud and clear. Turn right, said the satnav, and he turned left. Do this, came the message, and he said, Pardon, I don't think I heard you quite right. The signposts all pointed right, and he went left. So what do you do when someone doesn't listen? They get on a boat heading in the wrong direction. Of course, you throw them overboard and let them get eaten by a whale. He heard, but he didn't listen. God had gone nowhere. Jonah went to Tarshish. That wasn't not hearing, that was not listening. It's funny how God's promises fall on deaf ears. How we hear them one day and know it's the truth, yet the next day it's like it's never been said. We've heard, but we didn't really listen. In Numbers 13, it says, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan that I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. This was not just some land you can go and have a look at it. These guys aren't house hunting, seeing if it fits. To be given means to be bestowed, to be provided, to be entrusted with the land. They had heard, but they didn't listen. You see, hearing affects your ears, but listening affects your heart. In verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and, while, and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Param. There they reported to them the whole, and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. 
But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. In verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. You see, they'd heard the message. They knew about the land that they'd been given. They'd been delivered out of Egypt by God that keeps his promises. But a few scary words, and it's though those promises had never been made. They heard the words, but they made no difference. Sometimes it feels like God's voice gets drowned out by the things that are shouting louder, the things that are scarier. I've seen God do amazing things in my life and in people's lives around me. Four days after I became a Christian, three of my friends nearly drowned. And I remember it as though it was yesterday. I literally said to God, what are you doing? Where are you now? Staring at the face of a giant, how quickly had I forgotten that God said that he'd never leave me? How quiet his voice now seemed. So, what do we do? A guy by the name of Bill Moore, who grew up in poverty, got drunk one time and shot a man for $5,000. He ended up on death row. A few people, prompted by God, went into the prisons to speak to him. And they said to Bill, Bill, there is a man, Jesus, who loves you and gave his life for you on a cross. He died for you. He went to death row for you. He turned his life over to Jesus and it changed him so much. Changed the darkness and bitterness inside him. People started meeting Jesus through this guy on death row. He became known as the peacemaker. His cell block was the safest place in prison because so many people were becoming Christians because of him. Churches found out about this guy and sent people into prison to him for counselling. Bill Moore changed his life so much that he won the love of the family of the man he killed. Eventually, the authorities not only cancelled his death sentence, they not only commuted his sentence, which was unprecedented, but they paroled him. He now serves at the head of a congregation in a couple of housing projects in a really poor area. When he was asked what turned his life around, he replied, it's Jesus Christ. Atheism has nothing to say to a guy on death row, but God does. One simple message from God to people who listened go into prisons. One simple message to Bill who listened. One simple message to the inmates who listened. 
Because when you're living on death row, and aren't we all really, there's only one message you need to listen to. I wonder if you've ever played the game Articulate. I love this game. It's brilliant. I've played this game loads of times, probably laughing hysterically for most of the game. You see, I'm quite competitive. And this game can be difficult to play when you're competitive. The object of the game is to describe words to players on your team. The more you get right, the further around the board that you go. Now, some words are harder than others, but that's okay. You take one of two approaches to this game. You either play it calm and safe and relaxed, or every time you turn a card over, you scream in panic. Panic because either you don't know what it means, or you have no idea how to explain it to anyone. The best response is to pass, if in doubt. And this option is unlimited. So, for example, if I said to you, she's the head of the royal family, you would say, the queen. If I said, wrote great expectations, you'd hopefully say, Charles Dickens. But if I said to you, Arturo Toscanini, I think I'd pass. Take the card and pass. That is a real person, by the way. I googled random famous people to find out names. Or if I had Paul Erdos, pass. J. Paul Getty, pass. Aldous Huxley, pass. Sometimes they're too hard or they're too confusing, or I don't have a clue, or sometimes they're way too much effort. But you get the clue, and you can decide to pass. Isn't life a bit like this sometimes? Witness to a friend, pass. Invite a stranger into your home, pass. Read more, pray more, share more, pass. Be careful what you watch, what you read, what you look at, what you say, pass. Jonah, go to Nineveh, pass. Step out of the boat, pass. Go into the promised land, pass. Talk in front of hundreds of people, pass. Go into prisons, pass. Lead worship, pass. And then we wonder why we stood empty-handed and in the same place that we started. Let's close our eyes and let God do the talking.